you found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little podcast, please consider helping us out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Right before we get started with this week's season finale, let me uh, just talk about that Patreon page again. If you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month, you'd like to see the podcast keep going, you'd like to see it remain ad-free, then consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island and sign up. It's five bucks a month. Patrons get exclusive access to a live chat during the U.S. broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. I'm there 90% of the time. Every once in a while, Tuesdays can get a little rough for me, but there's always some great content on there and always great to hear you. And I always use it in the next podcast. So drop right in there, folks. Uh, And that chat, like I said, it's just fun to go through. Uh, Just so come and join us, please. Let me welcome Wayne, our new patron this week. Wayne, thank you so, so much for your support. Welcome to the Diggin' Oak Island family. Again, folks, patreon.com slash Island. Sign up. Support the podcast. It's only five bucks a month. You can cancel any time. If you want to make a donation to the podcast, you don't want to do the monthly thing. I get asked about that every once in a while. Um, the only way I have that is through Venmo, through my um, pay- my page there as a musician. I'm a musician by trade. That's sort of our virtual tip jar. So you could uh, go to at Dave McBride Music and make a donation there. Thank you to everyone who's done that. Um, all right. Before we get into the emails this week, Let me just mention that next week we have one of these Matty Blake postseason shows. I'm going to mention this a couple times. Uh, But then after that, I want to be able to do – we're going to do a show about that next week. We'll probably do a live chat too. Uh, And then we will do a season-ending show where I kind of turn it over to you, the listeners. So – you know, maybe you want to wait until after next week to kind of get an idea of where we're going. But I want your ideas, your thoughts, your opinions, uh, things that you, you know, just want to get off your chest about season 10, if that's a thing, uh, you know, the praise you want to give it, however you want to do it. The best way to do that, Island at gmail.com. Or if you're a patron, just drop me a message through the Patreon page. Uh, and I'm going to post up a... Um, a discussion board there as well for you guys to be able to do that, you patrons. I really want to get your input. I want to hear what you guys thought of this season. Um, I think the finale was different from a lot of other finales, and I and I kind of want to think, kind of. I think I kind of want to hear what you guys have to say. Anyway, I'm rambling, so let's begin with today's emails. We don't have that many. Uh, like again, I hope you guys are keeping your powder dry for next week, right? That's right. But uh, we want your thoughts and opinions. You know, season ten. Keep them going. DiggingOakIslandGmail.com. Send them in this week. Uh, we do have another rather long email, though, and a couple of others. So let's do the, the short ones first. Let's start with a great one from Paul who writes, Dave, I'm a big fan and avid listener of your podcast, your format, the way you present your show. is perfect and very informative. Much appreciate all your efforts. Thank you so much. Um, I thought this idea I have would be something fun to share for you. Uh, it's just an idea that I created and made up a mock-up of. I'd love to send you the actual mock-up if you'd like. The idea is based off of Gary Drayton's well-known sayings, Top Pockets and Bobby Dazzler's. The concept is a bag full of chocolate coins with logos. 
inside an envelope that replicates a top pocket of his shirt. Looking forward to your last episode of the year. Can't wait for your first podcast of next year's season. Uh, let's hope the team gets what they're looking for. Thank you again for the exceptional podcast, Paul. Uh, Paul, if it's okay with you, I'm going to put up the image you sent me of your little mock-up on the Facebook page for everybody to see. I absolutely love it. I think this is a great idea. Uh, I mean, if it were me, I worry about copyright stuff, but that's because I'm totally ignorant of copyright stuff. I have no idea what that stuff's all about, so uh, don't ask me. and sure, I'm always up for some chocolate. No doubt about that. You know, uh, I think finding a manufacturer might not be uh, the easiest thing in the world, but have at it, man. Uh, I'll, again, it's great stuff. Let me know if I can help anyway. I love uh, supporting you guys. All right. Let's go now to our old friend, Lionel, our man in Portugal, who sent us a Facebook message with a link to a news story, which I'll post for you uh, so you can take a look at it. He writes, hi, Dave. Cool new dating technique. We now know for sure there were Vikings in Newfoundland in 1021 AD, precise to the year. Uh, okay, thanks for that stuff, Lionel. Great uh, article, too. Uh, the new technique, folks, is way, way, way too complicated for me to explain to you here, and I'm not sure I really understand it anyway. Um, of course, it puts European presence pretty close to Nova Scotia very early on, as he says. I mean, that isn't much of a surprise, really. Many people have been arguing for Viking presence in Nova Scotia for decades. Um, But can this new technique be of help in dating activities on Oak Island? That's kind of where my mind goes to it, right? Um, I hope it can. I mean, (laughs) we got to get more precise dating. The carbon dating just isn't enough, uh, as we're going to talk about. Anyway, here's that long email I mentioned, and this is from Jeff in Michigan. I'm going to stop during it and make some comments as we go along, but it's a great email. He writes, hello, Dave. You have a great podcast, and I have been listening to you for several years now, and out of all the different podcasts I listen to, it is still one of the ones I look forward to the most every week. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much for that. First time sending you an email, and as none of us are experts on what happened on the island, I thought I would share my thoughts first. Sorry for the long email. No worries. We'll get through it. As for the whole gold leaching thing into water idea, I am no expert. And I have not stayed in Holiday Inn Express lately, so take this as just another crackpot idea. As far as gold leaching into water, it is pretty unlikely. And it would take some interesting circumstances for it to happen, which maybe I have an answer for. As you have stated in the past, Nova Scotia has a history of gold mining. And as I was doing a bit of digging, this happened far back in the areas of history, so it seems Nova Scotia is full of gold and mining. My thoughts are these. As a longtime viewer of the show Gold Rush, the way they always get gold is digging down to the point where they hit what is called pay dirt. And this is usually very close or right at bedrock. As they dig down, the gold gets more and more concentrated the farther down you typically go. The reason being is gold is heavy. And over time, it sinks towards the bedrock. And once it hits the bedrock, it cannot go any farther as to why why they call it the pay layer. This would seem to explain the fact that as they go deeper, the more concentrated the gold gets. And if you watch the show Gold Rush, the gold isn't everywhere. They dig and and it tends to be higher concentrations in different areas, as is the case around Oak Island. Gold typically, as I understand it, is in pockets, or it follows a channel in the rock. 
I believe this is why the readings are different. Now, if you watch, they are only looking at traces in the water. My hunch would be if they actually panned some of that dirt close to the bedrock, they would probably see a few flakes in the pan. And if the old tale they talk about is true, that way in the past, the drill went down and came up with gold dust on the drill bit, this would make a lot of sense. All right, let me stop here. Uh, Jeff, my wife watched Gold Rush for years, and she never bothered to mention any of this. So thank you very, very much. Here's my question. Has anyone tried to pan that dirt? I mean, if they did and it didn't come up with anything, you know why we haven't seen it. If it is a natural deposit and there are gold flakes there, my other question would be, wouldn't Gary pick that up in the metal detector as he's detecting the spoils from that low? It's a great theory, a really great theory, I got to tell you. I just have some questions about it. Anyway, Jeff continues. Also, if you watch Gold, Fresh, gold Rush, some of these people get gold fever and will do almost anything, including spending their life savings for the prospect of finding gold. So who would be crazy enough to dig a hole down to bedrock and then tunnel around? Gold miners. <laughs> let me stop again here and let uh, and just say for sure, with as much confidence as I possibly can, Jeff, that the guys who we call the Fellowship of the Dig do have a pretty bad case of gold fever. That's for sure. Anyway, Jeff continues. Again, if you watch the show Gold Rush, there have been many episodes of the different teams digging and all of a sudden finding an old 1800 shaft that was dug by hand with timbers holding it up. And within that area, there are trailing tunnels all over the place where the miners back in the day would follow gold channels. Does this sound very familiar to what we're seeing now? Maybe. Also, I think it is a weird coincidence that we have a mining company reworking the garden shaft successfully. Gotta stop again. Jeff, uh, what does Rick call it? The Eureka moment? <laughs> I think that's just what you gave us there. Let me go back and read that again, okay? Uh, in the show Gold Rush, many episodes where the different teams digging and all of a sudden find an 1800 shaft dug by hand with timbers holding it up, and within that area are trailing tunnels all over the place where miners back in the day would follow gold channels. Eureka. I mean, that sounds really good. Uh, uh, could this be an undocumented mining operation? You're darn right it could be. Remember, the Gold River is right there. Remember, they have mined for gold in Nova Scotia. So people knew gold was found in the area, and why not give it a try, right? Jeff, I mean, you blew my mind there. And folks, like I always say, um, you know, an idea of a sort of undocumented, maybe illegal or something like that gold mine being dug in that area to find some gold right by the gold river is certainly a better explanation than the Templars hiding the Ark of the Covenant, right? It's certainly a more reasonable and less fantastic and more likely explanation than Shakespeare didn't write his manuscripts and so they hid them <laughs> in on, in a hundred foot pit in Oak Island, right? Those this all sounds better than that. We need someone to do the research on this ASAP, Jeff. I think you're in. Anyway, he's not done. Back to the email. The other interesting thing is how you could get gold in the water. 
I would imagine that if there are actual flakes there, probably is also small traces floating around that you basically can't see with your eye. But also back in the old days, and even today, they would use mercury and arsenic after digging out rocks or mining rocks. Here's the explanation below. And he writes, he sends a link for all of that kind of stuff. Also, quicksilver, mercury, was used with chlorine and arsenic to pull gold from ore through chemical amalgamation. 19th century miners worked with these substances in the open air with few protections for themselves or the land. High levels of mercury and arsenic remain in the soil and water near historic mining areas. The pad they speak of seems like a good use for clay, maybe in the old days. The leftover material called tailings was then discarded into nearby wetlands. This is and has been a big concern in the area for contamination and would not be surprised if it happened on Oak Island as well. And it gives us another article here. Gold mining toxic legacy raises concerns on an eastern shore project. Uh, again, and I have to jump in here. The article is fascinating. It doesn't really concern Oak Island directly. Uh, in fact, the area they're talking about is on the other side of, Nova, of uh, Halifax. But you kind of get the meaning and what he's going after here with... Um, you know, what we might come into in an old mine. Anyway, he continues. What does all this mean? Basically, if if I think about this logically, I would say people mined all over the area and probably tried Oak Island at some point. They dug a shaft and probably found a gold channel, dug it out, and then abandoned it. This could also be another explanation for the pickaxes as well. Then at some point, someone came across the old mine shaft, knowingly or unknowingly what it was, and started the timeline, and we probably see the tailings in the paths and the swamp thrown there to get them out of the way. The contaminated water from a few hundred years ago still probably exists. Part two, could it be? Also, the second thing is this latest lead coin token thing. When it originally aired, it appeared to have two holes. First picture attached. And he, again, I'll post these for you guys. And now they must have flipped it over since it looks like there's only one hole in the latest episodes. But you could see it. Originally, it reminded me of a button because of the holes, which it still could be. So I looked it up and found a few, another picture here, from when I searched post-medieval buttons. This then took me down another rabbit hole, which seems even more likely. They are called lead sew-in curtain or dress weights, which basically were used to weigh down the bottom of a dress when worn. They were used as far back as 1750, from what I see. And the one pictured was found in France. There's another picture he puts there. Seems more reasonable that one of these fell out of a dress bottom years ago than a Templar treasure, but who knows? In any case, I love the show. Other than the repetitive items lately, all in all, I think the real history, uh, the real treasure is the story. Thanks, Jeff from Michigan. Jeff, you gave us a long one there. And I usually cut long ones down, but you gave us so much information and so much to think about between the mining operation and those dress weights. I mean, guys, peruse the uh, Facebook page, Digging Oak Island. Uh, you could see what I'm, what the images are. It's a fantastic find, both of these things. You know, I mentioned this before, I think, to some degree. This is the speculation that goes on during the show, right? I mean, this is the kind of thing that we do, and it's a fault of this speculation that we get during the show. We originally jump to the fantastic. That's the first thing we do, right? What is this? It must be a treasure mine. It must be a hatch under the something or other. Uh, instead of kind of looking things logically and coming up with a hypothesis and then researching those hypotheses like these two that Jeff did right here. 
I mean, what's the old Sherlock Holmes saying, right? Once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. But the problem is they jump right to the whatever remains and never go about the idea of eliminating the probable or even the impossible, right? We never seem to get to that point where we're looking down the hole of something that seems more a reasonable explanation than the Templars buried the Ark of the Covenant. Not that I think that's impossible, but it certainly isn't probable, and we haven't gotten to that point yet. Am I making any sense with all this? I love what your theory is here. It is by no means impossible. It is by no means improbable either. Uh, and Jeff, you really brought it this week. That's all for the emails. Uh, we're gonna take a short break and come back with the season finale of The Curse of Oak Island. All right, folks, it is season finale time, season 10, episode 25 of The Curse of Oak Island called And the Hits Keep Coming. I'm not sure how we're going to lay this review out here um, because it was mostly recap stuff. So let's kind of wing it. Um, when I get tired, I'll take a break. <laughs> Sound good? Uh, so there are a couple of spots we just sort of touch on a bit, right? So let's do those. Uh, we'll start with the swamp. The only thing really new in the swamp this week is some carbon dating on pieces of wood found in the recently discovered stone ramp feature. Craig Tester, who is the carbon dating man of the uh, of, of the team, uh, calls into the war room with dating information, which says 1495 to 1656, right around the same era we got from the other areas of the swamp. So what does it mean? Honestly, that's hard for me to really get a grip on. The theory is that the placement of this wood, you know, where they found it, might indicate that its dating matches up with the dating of the construction of the ramp. But even if we accept that as true, which I suppose we can, these dates aren't really very helpful, these carbon dating things, because, you know, they always say all the way back to the 15th century. Well, it also goes back to the 1650s, which is not really as, as unusual as 1495, right? So it's 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 such a big target, and it's right in that uh, you know in that gray area for sure. Um, someone let me let me say it like this: I believe that these rock features, these stone features in the swamp, were made by someone. They did it a long time ago, and probably before there were quote unquote property owners on Oak Island. But does that mean it was the Templars? No. Could these have an agricultural purpose from back then? Yes, it could. Is it proof of treasure? No, <laughs> not at all. And I think the frustrating thing about it is after all this dating, right, um, with these stone roads or stone features, we're no closer to knowing what these things are, who built them and why. I mean, they spent years on this and there's precious little to really go on, right? I don't know how those questions are ever going to get answered. I mean, they've been doing this for quite some time now, right? Um, a few years. And yet we still don't know what we're really looking at. Again, at this point, I'm not sure how we ever get these answers or, or what else is there to be found. I mean, after all these years, the best we can do is carbon dating a couple of small sticks, which isn't really accurate enough to get us anywhere near those answers. So it's kind of frustrating, especially at the end of a season like this. 
Anyway, over at lot five, we see Rick, Marty, Alex, uh, Jack Begley, and Laird Niven over at this stone pit feature that they have been uh, looking at for some time here. In this really kind of dramatic scene, Gary marches over with his metal detector and starts detecting in the air. He finds a nail. Um, not much discussed about it at all. No cleanup. No really look into it. So I'm not sure what it means other than, you know, hopefully it's the first of many nails to come, which would at least confirm that what we're looking at here is a foundation. Laird says, quote, we were wondering if there was a building over this. So he's kind of thinking along the same lines and finding a bunch of nails kind of gives you that idea, right? Later in the episode, Marty and Alex uh, come and check in on Laird. He's now joined by um, his archaeologists, Miriam Emerald and Helen Sheldon. Uh, and they're there, Rick and Mar or Marty and Alex are there to see how this excavation is coming along. It's now a full-blown archaeological excavation. Laird says he thought they were nearing the bottom of whatever it is, but now he thinks it could go even deeper. Marty gets behind the wheel of a digger. He starts assisting them with moving bigger boulders so they can try and see what is going on there. It's pretty clear at this point that we're not going to get answers to what this is this year, and hopefully we do next year. But a word of caution, remember the Samuel Ball property. The archaeologists seemingly stopped working for a winter uh, on the backs of a camera being put down. Could it be a cellar of some kind? And only to come back next year and see nothing of it ever again. My guess is if Laird finds that this is, I don't know, the foundation of an old barn or something, then that might explain why we never see this feature return to in the future. Hopefully that's not the case, so, though. Maybe next week's Mighty Blake show will, uh, will clarify that for us. So let's talk about the money pit. The episode actually begins, as it usually does, with a scene at the money pit. Recently, more specifically at the Garden Shaft, for those who don't recall, last week, Dumas, the contracting company doing the mining here and doing the work here, had to abandon the use of a four-inch drill that it was using to probe down deeper than the mine shaft, than the Garden Shaft's 80-something feet. Uh, they had to stop use of that drill because it wasn't getting past whatever obstacle was there in place, and they brought in a bigger one, a six-inch drill, so... That's where this episode begins, with this new drill beginning to work its way down under the shaft floor. But just like the smaller one, this bigger drill also begins to struggle, and struggle mightily. Later, we come back to check in on the progress of the drill, and it's still struggling, making only a few inches progress, I think they said. Soon the drill seems to be bound up on something which they think could be wood, so they pull the drill up to take a look at the bit and see what it might be, uh, what might be causing this. I don't remember getting to see anything in particular at the end of the bit, but the guy operating the drill says he's 99% sure they're hitting wood, and he would know that from the sound and the way the drill's moving and that kind of stuff. And that makes me wonder, is wood that hard that a drill of that size can't get through it? I mean... I, uh, am I wrong in that question? I, I don't understand that. What, what? But, you know, what do I know? It just seems strange to me that such a large implement of destruction can't get through some wood. Rick and Marty then decide that it's time for them to go down into the shaft together to see what this is all about. There's a lot of nostalgia here as the brothers descend together underground in Oak Island. What a dream come true this must have been for both of them, really. Um, one of them, I can't remember who, gets the brilliant idea to have their metal detecting expert, Gary Drayton, come down and metal detect the bottom of this shaft, the bottom of this pit. So Gary suits up and heads down. I assume he got the same safety training Dumas made everyone else go through. They made a point of this over the last couple of weeks. 
of mentioning that about Marty going down, but they don't mention it here for Gary. I just assume he's uh, safe and got all the briefings and ready to go. Gary gets his detector down into the muddy water and starts to get really excited when it reads a non-ferrous metal hit, meaning something not iron. And Gary points out stuff like gold, silver, copper, stuff like that. Before Gary went down, Ginger on the Patreon commented, quote, finally, a metal detector in the mud, bottom of the money pit. How will they get it out? Well, Ginger, they won't. <laughs> Even though he finds this non-ferrous hit due to permitting issues and safety concerns, along with the really constant mention of winter coming to Oak Island, which went on throughout the episode. They're not able to look any further into what this non-ferrous hit at the bottom of the money pit could be. Let's face it, whether you believe their reasons for not looking or not, it does leave the perfect cliff for a season to hang on. So the episode concludes with a war room session. This is the usual way these finales have been going, right? Um, just about everyone is gathered, whether it be in the room itself or via video conferencing, to basically do a long recap of the season. Uh, as is also the tradition, they have artifacts laid out on the table, but they hardly get even get a mention this one. Usually they kind of go through those and sort of recap the things they found. They did not do that this year um, for whatever reason. Marty says something here that I think is really interesting and really insightful. He says basically, and I don't have the exact quote here, but what he says is without the gold tracing found in the water tests, without that idea of gold being found in these water tests in the money pit, he would have been done here. Meaning that there's the only thing keeping him from thinking that something might, the only thing keeping him thinking something might still be down there are these tests. So he turns to Steve Guptill and asks, how many holes have they put into the money pit? And Steve responds, 500 boreholes and 20 caissons. Now, folks, just let that sink in for a moment. 500 boreholes and 20 caissons. His point, Marty's point, and it's a really good one, is that... <laughs> He's pretty sure by a, that by this point, he would have concluded that there is nothing down there. And the only thing making him think there might be are that these water tests keep coming up with gold and that keeps them coming back for more. And that keeps hope alive for something to be found. But folks, try to imagine anyone who thinks there's an intact treasure vault down there in that area of the money pit. 500 boreholes and 20 caissons seems more and more unlikely that there is an intact treasure vault of any size, right? So this naturally brings the conversation over to Dr. Spooner. He's the man kind of heading up these water tests. He says that the new results are suggesting that the source of gold is found 15 feet from the garden shaft. As I think Marty points out, that's only like a 30-foot radius around the garden shaft, so it wouldn't be really all that difficult to do a thorough search. Ginger on the Patreon commented, uh, Ian just said the treasure is 15 feet away from where they are in the garden shaft. Pure speculation. How could he make such an unsubstantiated statement and everyone just accept it as fact? Ginger, I don't disagree with you. Um, 
and I don't disagree with you or your thought process here, but I would say let's keep one thing in mind. Um, he's a scientist. He has a reputation. But he's also taking part in a show that is heavily edited. So Spooner might have had some information here that we just didn't get to see that maybe would have convinced you of this, right? Uh, or at least convinced you his theory is possible. Maybe he phrased it in a different way, you know, uh, was less certain about it. But the editors cut it into this, which is what they usually do. I mean, I've been told this by just about everyone who's ever appeared on the show who I've ever spoken with. This is what the editors do. So I would say, Ginger, while I think it is speculation to when it's presented to us that way, let's give the scientist, the doctor, the benefit of the doubt just on this that maybe there was more to it than we ever got to see. Rick says that the plans for next year would be for Dumas to get permitting uh, to be able to go down even further in the garden shaft and maybe even start tunneling out from there. It's an exciting plan and one I'm pretty sure will change a bit over the winter. But again, you know what? Next week, it's Maddie Blake postseason show from Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, I'm guessing we're going to hear a little bit more about the future plan. So let's discuss that more after we and speculate more after we, we see that there, uh, because I think it's this is sort of very early days here. The team then runs down a few other projects from the past season, Lot 26, the location with the old well and the rock wall. Uh, Dr. Spooner just says that there's more they can do over there as far as testing and learn more about the features. He doesn't specify what that is. At least we don't get to hear the specification of what that is. Um, but, you know, we can we can track whether or not they actually do go back to it. They talk about the things they did and didn't did in the swamp over the years. No new information. Rick gives us a big, long recap of the trip to Italy. And then Rick then says that he's working with a theory that whatever occurred here must have happened over a long, long period of time, seemingly centuries, if I'm following his train of thought here, right? It's hard for me to understand exactly what he means, but I assume he's trying to come up with a way to have all of these different date ranges, you know, centuries worth of date ranges kind of fit together into some kind of narrative, make some kind of sense. Everyone then agrees that they're going to indeed come back next season to continue all of these projects. Tom on the Patreon commented, quote, remember when every conversation in the war room had to do with Marty's money? Uh, also, Tom, remember all of these end of the uh, season war room meetings used to be about whether or not we think it's worth going on, right, to keep on searching. But not this year. As we said earlier, um, gold fever has spread pretty rapidly on the island, and it seems like everybody is really in on finding out what this gold testing is all about. Rick then thanks everybody. He gets nostalgic. He cries. <laughs> you know, that's it for season 10. We all love when it ends that way. So let me just make a couple of personal observations about this episode and this season finale. The first is, and I mentioned this already, the editors really felt the need to drill into our heads, the f during, especially throughout the first half of the episode, this idea that winter is coming and all work is going to need to stop. They said it in almost every scene, and part of the reason for that was clearly how every project we saw just sort of stopped in midstream. Little or no answers, right, coming from any of them. I mean, the garden shaft just sort of stopped there. There's so much more to go. You know, they didn't find anything out of that. The same with the swamp, the same with the stone pit, the same with the, with the well, with the rock wall, all that. It just all sort of stopped, right? 
And it seems to me that to some extent, the editors felt the need to justify how that's going to look. So maybe that's why we get this constant mentioning of winter closing in. Now on the Patreon, Steve asked, quote, do they really run out of time? Hyperbole, Rick, they're all, Rick's there all year. I believe they keep going. They're just out of TV time, end quote. Yeah, Steve, I, I think that's the other part of this, right? Now, sure, some digging has to stop, and the swamp probably freezes to make, uh, you know, to some extent, making it really hard to work in there. Uh, but work does continue on the island. They do admit that often enough in these Maddie Blake shows. However, the television work does not. And, I, you know, it makes me think maybe they should hand Rick a nice uh, set of GoPros or something like that to document what's going on in the offseason. Uh, that would make a nice addition, I think, to the start of each episode or the start of each season. Uh, but they've decided long ago that they're not going to do that. Instead, they're going to go with this kind of semi-false narrative that winter means everything stops on the island. And Steve on the Patreon would also jump through his podcast software to strangle me if I don't mention the fact that the Muon testing done last year was completely and totally ignored and glossed over. Now, remember, this is this cosmic rays testing uh, the very thing that one of the producers of the show last year said would, quote, unquote, solve the mystery. Those were his words. They're not mine. It was going to solve the mystery. This was last year. Then earlier in this season, we were told that even throughout the winter with this Muon testing taking place, again, work going on during the winter, um, and I think we were told by Craig, that the testing and the processing and all that was going to take a couple of more months. Well, it seems it's taking much longer than that. The question now is, will we ever really hear anything about these Muon things ever again? Here's what I'm going to do. Before I conclude that these tests produce nothing and go through my thing about how, you know, if you never hear from it again, you know what that means. Again, let's wait until next week. Uh, the Maddie Blake episode could include something like this. It certainly could be mentioned. This would be a good time to, for them to talk about why we didn't get anything this year. Maybe there was a delay. Maybe an equipment problem. Who knows? Um, I really can't imagine it won't be mentioned, so I'm going to hold my judgment on that. It's the kind of place, like I said, where we usually get something on things like this. And finally... I can't emphasize how important I thought this one line from Marty was that it was, if not for the gold in the water tests, he would be done with this search. I mean, he basically said that all of the work they have done would have all, not including the water tests would have led him to conclude by now that there is nothing in the money pit, 500 boreholes, 20 caissons, no treasure, no vault, no nothing. Who could blame him if he decided to walk away, right? In my mind, and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but this seems to put all the pressure now on this baby blob and this water test. If we don't find gold there next season, are the Laginas really done digging for treasure on Oak Island? Right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of the Digging Oak Island podcast. Remember, next week we're going to discuss the Maddie Blake recap show. 
Um, so you get your emails in about that or about this week's episode for sure. Get your emails in. We'll discuss that. So here's what I'm saying. If you want to discuss just the season finale, just the Maddie Blake thing from next week, then get those in and just label that. And then what I want separate from that is what you thought of the entire season, right? Making sense? Uh, again, we're going to cover the Maddie Blake thing next week. We're going to do a recap after that with you guys. Uh, and then, you know, we'll go start getting into our off season after a short break. So send your thoughts for all of this stuff in you, the dedicated viewers of the curse of Oak Island. We want to know what you think. Send them in diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Don't forget. You can really help out the show by going to, uh, become a patron. If you think the show's worth five bucks a month to you head over to patreoncom slash diggingoakisland. Learn more. Uh, if you want to make a one-time donation to the podcast, you can do so via Venmo. Just use the username at Dave McBride Music. Don't forget, leave us some five-star ratings. Thanks to everybody who can do that. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just put at Diggin' Oak Island into your search bar. Um, and again, diggin'oakisland at gmail.com. If, if you email me something you don't want me to talk about on a podcast, just mention that to me so I don't read it. Or if not, I'm going to read it right here. So, folks season's over it is most assuredly crown time so until we speak again i'm dave mcbride thank you for listening to digging oak Island.